Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to World News Brief with Mike Friedenberg as one of your rotating hosts. Thank you for joining us once again. This podcast is part three of our post-election analysis of what really happened. And in our last podcast, the last part, I said we're going to be talking about what happened in Arizona, in particular, focusing on the trial. And uh, I would just say briefly, the trial was a show trial. It was Kabuki Theater. But I'm actually going to do the more detailed analysis on this in the next part, because as we uh, as we all have been probably watching, we've had four days of Kevin McCarthy trying to secure the speakership for himself. And contrary to what you may have heard from the media or from some conservative elitist magazines or hosts, a whole heck of a lot was accomplished. This was not a meaningless four days. Significant things were accomplished. It was democracy in action. And if you're a conservative, you should be pleased. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this. And as uh, hopefully you all know by now, it took 15 votes for Kevin McCarthy to secure the speakership. Initially, there was 20 votes opposing Kevin McCarthy. Then on the fourth vote, we had another person join in voting present, which was effectively a vote against Kevin McCarthy. And finally, in the 15th vote, we were down to the sixth most committed to seeing change, the five or six, that actually I guess ended up being six, ended up voting present. This allowed the total number of people being counted as eligible to vote to be reduced, which meant that Kevin McCarthy only needed 215 votes to secure the speakership. He got 216. So the final results was Kevin McCarthy, 216 votes, and um, Hakeem Jeffries, Democrats' House Minority Leader, and by the way, a very, very far-left guy, picking up 212. Speaking of the 216 votes that Kevin McCarthy secured, that's the number of votes that Newt Gingrich got to secure the speakership. That's the number of votes that John Bonner got to secure the votes. And that's the number of votes that Nancy Pelosi got to secure the speakership. So those are interesting numbers there. So Kevin McCarthy is the speaker. He gave his uh, his acceptance speech early in the morning. I guess it was last night. Now I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you right now on a Saturday. So it was actually Saturday morning early. And it, 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 the speech wasn't particularly remarkable, though I will mention a couple of things that I thought were, were worthwhile. One is that he did uh, he did say, uh, I thought it was a rather funny uh, joke. He, he mentioned to uh, Hakeem Jeffries that, uh, remember, you know, in 2020, I got 100% of the votes for minority leader. So, um, you know, that's sort of a dig and that just because uh, Hakeem Jeffries consistently got all 212 Democrat votes for all 15 votes does not mean he's going to get 200, whatever the 218 votes he needs next time should the Democrats manage to take the majority, which I hope they don't. The other thing that was noticeable is that McCarthy stated that the House is now going to be open to the public again that we're going to open up the people's house to the people and remove many of the restrictions. That received a roaring standing ovation from the Republicans and silence from the Democrats. So with that said, let's just take a look at really what is was achieved. 
if you were following this, you probably might be a little confused as to what and what was not achieved. And I think this was purposeful. The press was trying to convey that these were crazy, wacko people. The, the original 20, the 20 were part of a crazy contention known as the Freedom Caucus, which I think is around 50 folks. And these are the craziest of the craziest. And then when you got down to the five or six people, these are the craziest of the craziest of the craziest. Well, that is not the case. These are committed principal conservatives that are standing there in principle. On average, they are far more statesmanlike than most of the rest of the people in Congress. And they didn't ask for anything crazy. And as you'll see as we go through this podcast, you, you will see that what they asked for was very reasonable, something that probably a majority of the Republicans, so, well, the vast majority of Republicans agree with, and I think the vast majority of the country would agree with. So let's get into what the top concessions, the Freedom Caucus members, the 20 and then the six, were able to extract from Kevin McCarthy. Well, one of the big ones and the ones you've almost certainly heard about is this concept of a privileged resolution to vacate the chair. Initially, I didn't understand this because I thought, well, one person being able to stand up to make a resolution to vacate this chair sounds sort of chaotic. But in doing further research, I discovered this was a rule that had been in effect for hundreds of years, a couple hundred years at least, and it was in effect until Nancy Pelosi changed it when she became the chair. So this was a rule that were to just great. It definitely gives accountability to the speaker. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And it was not just a useless, mean nothing, do nothing type resolution. The, the way it works is that a member of Congress can file a petition. They can have co-signers to the petition, and the petition is to vacate the speakership's chair. So once it's filed, they can then go to the floor with a privileged resolution. They cannot, the resolution cannot be turned down or shut down. They can actually do a motion to adjourn. I guess that could be done. But other than that, the motion to vacate the chair stands. It's privileged. Once that resolution is on the floor, then the speaker has to gain a majority of, well, in this case, they have to get 50% plus one of 218 votes to stay in the speakership. And those votes need to come from their party. So you can put it out there, but unless you have the votes from your own party to remove the speaker, you're not going to go anywhere. So this has been rarely used, but it has been used at least three times that we're aware of. And there's probably other times we do not know about where its use was threatened, but it never made it and was never recorded. But let's just talk about the three times it was used. In 1910, it was used uh, to, to actually successfully file a petition, put a motion on the floor, and get the speaker removed. That was 1910. And then in 1997, a group of disgruntled Republicans, disgruntled with Speaker Newt Gingrich, threatened to file a petition. They never did, but they threatened. And uh, that was a threat that was used that way. And then in 2015, Republicans actually, with uh, Paul Ryan as part of the, the coalition, 
filed a petition to vacate against Speaker John Bonner. And that was successful in the sense that that mere filing of the petition to vacate forced Bonner to resign. So it can be used, but it has not been overused. And if you're somebody who's going to be filing it you know, randomly with no chance of removing the speaker of your own party, you're going to find yourself pretty ostracized pretty quickly. So it's it's a great accountability tool. Its history is it's not in the Constitution. Its history is that Jefferson, when he was vice president, put in rules of order for the House that were adopted and have been used ever since then, uh, Thomas Jefferson. And so that was a worthwhile thing to bring back in terms of a tool of accountability. So that was in itself was worth a whole bunch. But what was even more amazing is this shows you just how desperate Keb McCarthy was to be speaker, is that the original 20 voting to oppose McCarthy from the Freedom Caucus, I believe all of them were, there might have been one or two other people other than that, were able to negotiate relatively early on an agreement that if McCarthy does anything outside his promises, now this is being reported by various news agencies, um, but this is what they say, if McCarthy does anything outside of what he had promised to the Republicans and this group, they the 20 can vote to not retain him, and then he would agree to resign. That's, wow. That's all I can say. That's, wow. So that's highly significant. <laughs> I don't know what else to describe that as there. So that was a significant concession to hold his feet to the fire. Now, the other major areas would be that the Freedom Caucus will at least get a couple members, some reports say three or four members, to sit on the powerful House Rules Committee. And this committee, if you've been following things, you know just how powerful this committee is. This committee is the one that sets the terms of debate. It decides which amendments can be added to draft legislation and determines what gets to the floor or blocked. Now, under Nancy Pelosi, this committee was tremendously powerful, and that's why you never saw anybody being able to vote on amendments. You know, you had $1.7 trillion omnibus, omnibus uh, type bills being put before the House and the senators with, you know, 48 hours to vote on over 4,000 pages of legislation. So the committee will still have an awful lot of power, maybe not quite as much, maybe it won't have as much power as it did, thankfully, under Nancy Pelosi, and it should, never should. Other measures that Kevin McCarthy was willing to negotiate with and give to the folks that were holding out on the speakership included replace the current pay-as-you-go requirement with a cut-as-you-go measurement. So this basically means the mindset will be not only where are we going to be looking to look for revenue to replace to make sure that we have the revenue to cover any new legislation, but we're going to be looking to cut spending. And speaking of spending, there's a lot of measures in the new rules that have to do with cutting spending. It also repeals the so-called Gephardt rule. And the Gephardt rule was passed so that once the House passed a budget and adopted a budget package, without any vote from the House members, it would basically be authorizing the debt ceiling to be be raised to cover the cost of the House budget. This goes back to pre-Gephardt rule and requires a separate vote to raise the spending limit. 
So this is a great, great, great tool. Representative Jerry Nadler, who you probably know, Democrat out of New York, said they're going to say that unless they have very steep spending cuts in domestic programs, they won't vote for it. So this is an, this was a tremendous step forward for fiscal responsibility. Other concessions include requiring 72 hours before a bill can be voted on. And there was numerous other concessions, as I mentioned earlier, around reducing debt, reducing spending, not being able to add new spending to a bill, and many other measures having to do with fiscal discipline. Another major area that they achieved significant concessions is, was increased transparency in all levels of congressional hearings and meetings and committees. In particular, there is an explicit commitment from Kevin McCarthy to get all the information and data, videos, transcripts, testimony from the January 6th committee and have them transferred to the House Administration Committee for the purpose of releasing much of that information to the public so that we can actually know what happened um, with the committee hearings, as well as being able to see the video of the so-called insurrectionists as they toured the Capitol building, doing virtually no damage whatsoever to the building or the contents of the building. So this was accomplished by the, those these 20 rebels. I would consider this to be a big win for, for Matt Gates and um, Bobert and the MAGMU movement. So the four days weren't just show. They weren't useless. They were tremendously valuable to this country. And as conservatives, you should be very, very happy with what the results were. That summarizes what I'm aware of, that the, uh, the 20 were able to negotiate with Kevin McCarthy. But there is a whole new rules package coming in. And while that rules package includes much of what the 20 were able to negotiate with the new speaker, there was going to be a lot of new rules in the package that are highly significant. And that's what I'm going to go through in detail in part 3.5 of this post-election analysis. So that's going to be immediately available. Um, I think you will find it very encouraging, um, even exciting. So uh, please do check out part 3.5 of the election analysis. And then in part four, we're going to be talking about what really happened in that trial and just why it was a show trial for Carrie Lake and the stolen election in Arizona, in particular, just the malfeasance that took place in Maricopa County. So with that, thank you for listening, and I look forward to joining you again in part 3.5 of the post-election analysis, trying to figure out what really happened on November 8th. So until next time, live long and prosper.